And if you would, open up with me now to our sermon text. Sermon text which comes once again today from the book of Jude. And we will be looking this morning at Jude verses 12 and 13. Jude verses 12 and 13. So hear now the word of the Lord. When these people eat with you in your fellowship meals, commemorating the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They are like trees in autumn that are doubly dead, for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. They are like wild waves of the sea, churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars, doomed forever to blackest darkness. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word to us. And Lord, we thank you for how your word is so timeless. And Lord, that even as Jude wrote these words with such an intense and immense threat of false teaching in the church in his day, Lord, there has never been an era of the church that has not desperately needed these same words, these same warnings, these same metaphors and similes to be able to help us see the threat and to see how we can spot these false teachings. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would store the truths of these verses deeply in our hearts, our hearts as individuals, and even more than that, our collective hearts, Lord, that you would help us as a church at Village Prez to always have these things in mind as we aim to guard this flock against every type of false teaching. So Lord, we do pray that you would minister in our heart now. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand your word. And may it bear fruit now and for generations and generations to come here at this church. We pray it all in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we start into our sermon this morning, I will admit that I made a shift as I was working on the sermon this week. I had initially planned to do verses 12 to 16. And of course, I had lots of thoughts on verses 14 to 16. But as I was working on that, I realized I wasn't really working through verses 12 to 13. And I think if you were to read through the book of Jude, these verses may be ones that you could read over pretty quickly. You know, you look forward to verse 14 and you get this reference to Enoch and you begin immediately to forget what you read in 12 and 13 and begin to resonate on that. So we will look at that text, Lord willing, next week. But I think these two verses are ones that we really need to focus an entire sermon on. Because what we have from Jude here are six very clear similes which help us figure out exactly what the threat these false teachers pose and how exactly we can spot these false teachers. You see, it's a skill that Jude wants all true Christians to have. It is a skill that the Lord knows His church will need because as long as Christians live in a fallen, sinful world, the threat of false teachers invading the church will be a reality. So to that end, Jude gives us here these six similes to help us discern both the threat these false teachers pose 
and then how to spot them. The first two similes primarily focus on the threat, and the last four primarily focus on how we can spot them. So that will be the general structure for our sermon today. But before we get into it, I do want to say here, there is intentionality, obviously, when a biblical author uses metaphors or similes. Commentator Roy Kiampa, speaking about biblical metaphors, says, they cue the reader as to how to feel as much as what to think. We say that again. They cue the reader as to how to feel as much as what to think. To say it another way, there is something about these similes that not only tells us what we ought to think, but actually puts us with a word picture in a location that helps us actually see how we should be guided to feel in conjunction with how we ought to think rightly. I'll give you an example here. If I relayed to you the story and I said something about an angry husband who yelled at his wife, you would understand at some level the truth of what happened. But when that encounter is accurately described as a husband being like a fiery volcano in his response to his wife's critique, not only are you thinking about what happened, but you get that emotional sense of what it felt like to the wife in that moment as that was happening. You see, a word picture, a simile metaphor is very helpful for us in that way. And such is what we see this morning with these six similes. So with that said, we have two main points. Point number one, false teachers threaten to shipwreck many inside the church. False teachers threaten to shipwreck many inside the church. Point number two, false teachers are easy to spot if you know what you are looking for. Point number two, false teachers are easy to spot if you know what you are looking for. So point number one, false teachers threaten to shipwreck many inside the church. We see this in verse 12a, focusing on the first two similes here. When these people eat with you in your fellowship meals commemorating the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. Now Jude begins here by connecting the presence of these false teachers in the midst of a very important practice in the early church. And commentator Douglas Moo does a good job of succinctly explaining what the practice is of these love feasts that were present in the early church. Moo says, agape means, of course, love. But the early Christians began to apply the word to their joyful fellowship meals. These meals usually included both the celebration of the Lord's Supper and the eating of a regular meal together. The false teachers, Jude implies, continued to participate in these regular community meals without any hesitation. By doing so, they posed a real danger to other believers who might be emboldened by their example to think that one could remain a Christian while living a libertine lifestyle. All right, so to say all that another way, what the early church did is they regularly practiced these love feasts. And this would be in conjunction with worship, and they would have a love feast, which was a full fellowship meal as a church, and in conjunction with that meal, the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And so the point Jude is making is that that by allowing these false teachers 
to join together in full communion with the church, while even being elevated to the very throne room of God through the practice of communion, there is the potential for very real danger. And that's where we get to the first of these six similes. The literal Greek says that these false teachers are reefs within their community. And the dynamic translation of the NLT gets it just right. A a wonderful job of explaining what Jude means with this phrase. They are like dangerous hidden reefs scattered throughout their fellowship meals that have the potential to rip open the bottom of different Christians or those present their ship. Think of it this way. When a community of believers joins together in faith, hope, and love, mutually exercising characteristic repentance among one another and relying on the the love of Christ, then the waters, so to speak, in that congregation should be very peaceful. It should be the one place in this fallen, sinful world where a Christian can lay down their oars, can set down their binoculars, because they should discern no threat from one another within that body. It is a time to rest peacefully in the communion of the saints as they all collectively feed on the body and blood of Jesus Christ. But by allowing these false teachers to be present in these love feasts, the church has allowed hidden reefs to become present in what ought to be peaceful waters. And what's worse, it's at a time when Christians have been encouraged perhaps to put down their oars, to take off their binoculars. They're not especially on guard. You see the threat that this creates. And as such, the presence of these false teachers is guaranteed to do two things if it goes unchecked. First, it is guaranteed to cause people who are not yet true believers to attach themselves to these false teachings and thus make it harder, humanly speaking, for them to come to faith in Christ. And this is best seen by the impact that these false teachers always have inevitably on the youngest within a congregation, on that next generation of children being raised up and thinking that immorality and repentance do not really matter to the Lord. But second, it also causes true believers to be led down destructive paths that are certain to bring pain and devastation into their own lives and to hurt the collective witness of that church to the community at large. You see, the Greek word for reef also has another angle to it. It could also be translated as stain. So a reef or a stain. And that is what these false teachers are. They are a stain upon that congregation's witness to one another and to the community at large. But it goes deeper than that. The second simile describes these false teachers as, quote, shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. And we need to read this the right way. By calling them shameless shepherds who care only for themselves, the point he makes is that they are literally shepherding themselves. That would be kind of the literal Greek translation. What are these false teachers doing? They are shepherding themselves. These are individuals who openly reject and oppose 
some of the true biblical teachings in the Scriptures. They reject and oppose faithful attempts of their shepherds to shepherd them. And they have determined to be their own authority, their own law, their own shepherd. And this goes right in line with what we talked about last week. If you were here for that sermon, you know that these false teachers take the place of God. They attempt to take the authority of God. They determine to live immoral lives, especially in the sexual realm. They reject all authority. They even scoff at angels. And they merely follow their own feelings, their own natural desires, and they do so without thinking, which is like animals. When the Bible calls true believers sheep, we must take that seriously. And that means a lot of things, doesn't it? All right, one thing it means when we are called sheep is it helps us see these amazing pictures of God loving and caring for his sheep. And we think about those a lot. And those are wonderful things to think about. But it must also remind us of something that is true about all of us in our natural state. We are like sheep and sheep are dumb. A very wise mentor of mine has said, Sheep will eat themselves right off a cliff unless someone reins them in. You see, we are all sheep and we all need a shepherd. Even the under-shepherds here at this congregation are still sheep themselves. And the most foolish thing that a sheep could ever do is to decide that it wants to shepherd itself. And yet that is what these false teachers are guilty of. And so the threat they pose to the congregation is very clear. In their words and in their examples of shepherding themselves, they are encouraging other sheep within that congregation to do the same thing, to begin shepherding themselves as well. So the picture we have from Jude here is one of a dangerous threat. Sheep, on our own, apart from the Word of God, would go in all matter of foolish directions. We need to be shepherded. And so by allowing these false teachers to commune with them in the Lord's Supper and as covenant members of their fellowship, they have allowed dangerous hidden reefs to be placed like mines all throughout the congregation. And the example of those shepherding themselves encourages others to do the same. Something that, if we are honest with ourselves, connects to the old fleshly parts of who we are. And that is why we need to ensure that they are removed from among our fellowship. Because these false teachers really do threaten to shipwreck many inside the church. The question, though, becomes this. How do we know who they are? How can we discern who are these false teachers? Well, that's what point number two looks at this morning. Point number two, false teachers are easy to spot if you know what you are looking for. As an aside here, we often think that they are not easy to spot. But let me encourage you, these four similes line out for us. If we know what, they are look, what we are looking for, they are easy to spot. So these last four similes we see in verses 12 and 13. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They are like trees in autumn that are doubly dead, for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. They are like wild waves of the sea, 
churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars, doomed forever to blackest darkness. We have here four similes from the four primary parts of creation. An image from the sky, an image from the ground, an image from the sea, and then an image from the heavens. Sky, ground, sea, and heavens, all that display the glory of God, and yet all that give us wonderful images of how to spot false teachers. First, we see that these false teachers are like clouds blowing over the land without giving rain. Now, this one is initially hard for us to understand in such a non-agriculture society. For instance, I know that Marianne, my wife, would find it quite nice on a summer day to have a cloud that brings no rain. That means she gets to take the kids to the park or to a playground or play in the backyard. There's no threat of rain so they can stay outside, and yet the cloud cover keeps us from all the heat. But that is not what they would have thought about in Jude's day with that illustration. In an agricultural society, without the aid of piping in water, it was absolutely necessary for their land to get the right amount of rain. So in a particularly dry time, the promise of dark clouds would have brought great joy and relief, celebration even before those clouds had arrived. They would have believed that the life-giving rain was on the way, and while these clouds promised to bring life and fertility, they fail to deliver on that promise. As Gene Green says, the metaphor spoken within an arid context would suggest a range of implications. The clouds bring nothing of value, they do not fulfill their promises, they are useless, and they do not satisfy. And so to connect it to these false teachers, we see the implication. False teachers aim to speak to the lusts of a natural human's heart. That is what they speak into. And then as they speak into it, they promise. They give the promise of joy and life and peace and satisfaction if you will indulge those lusts, the lusts of the flesh. And yet, that indulging actually proves to bring about none of what it promises. Brothers and sisters, how can you tell a false teacher? They tell you what you want to hear. They give you license to indulge your fleshly desires and even claim that by doing so, that is what will bring you happiness. And yet, what you will find is that when you do indulge those things, you actually get the opposite. The opposite of joy, life, peace, and satisfaction they claim it will bring. We see this in the very sad teachings of so many churches on the issue of homosexuality, which again is actually central to what these false teachers are speaking of in Jude's day. They will claim that the reason such a lifestyle has high rates of suicide and self-harm is simply because their lifestyles are not affirmed. However, we live in a culture now that by and large affirms every one of these LGBTQ lifestyles. And yet according to NPR and the Trevor Project in a recent uh, article, the suicide and self-harm rates among the LGBTQ communities are actually skyrocketing. How come? Well, it's because indulging sinful human desires, even with the affirmation of so many people around, 
still does not bring joy or life or peace or satisfaction. It actually brings about greater sorrow and death and chaos and destruction. You see, they are like wonderful clouds that bring all the promises of life-giving rain, but that rain never comes. The next simile says that false teachers are like trees in autumn that are doubly dead, for they bear no fruit and they're being pulled up by the roots. What we have here is a picture of a tree that ought to bear wonderful fruit. And this is what we should, should see from teachers inside the church, from leaders in the church. Right? We remember the people being talked about here are false leaders, are false teachers. Now when we see a leader or a teacher who has good standing within the church of Jesus Christ, the expectation is that their teachings and leading will yield two results. We see, first, the fruit that is born in their life and in the lives of faithful believers who follow their teachings should be beautiful. It should result in flourishing faith anywhere that their scriptural teachings are embraced. And second, it should also be connected at a root level deeply to Jesus Christ, where we would expect their roots to be grounded. But Jude tells us these false teachers are doubly dead because neither of those things are true. The fruit born in their lives and in the lives of those who follow them is destructive. They are not growing in lives of humility, of boldness, or of gentleness. Rather, they are producing the opposite. Lives of pride, of fear, of harshness. The fruit they bear doesn't have any of the effects of the fruit of the Spirit, but is characterized by the fruit of of the flesh. And also we see quite clearly that they have been uprooted. They are not connected to the true teachings of Christ. They are not rooted in the gospel, however much they pretend to be. They are a tree doubly dead, cut off from the teachings of Christ and bearing destructive fruit. Two very clear markers that we can see in false teaching. The third simile shows us that these false teachers are like wild waves of the sea, churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. Now this is quite the image here. And again, it reminds us how these similes give us guidance to our emotions as much as they do our thoughts. The sea, especially in Jude's day, was the place of great chaos and turmoil. It was truly wild and uncontrollable. And we see that in Revelation we see the statement that the sea will be no more on the day that Christ returns. And that connects to the reality of a chaotic, fearful, and scary place that is uncontrollable, finally being calmed once and for all on the day Christ returns. Which, by the way, speaks to that immense fear of the disciples in the boat with Jesus when he calmed the sea. They had not ever seen someone control the uncontrollable sea and it raised fear within them so the imagery we see here of wild waves evokes those feelings of being uncontrolled chaotic dangerous which is exactly what these false teachers are doing their teachings do not bring peace and calm but they bring about uncontrollable desires but more than that we see that the waves of the sea are producing something 
Now, when I think of this, I think of Myrtle Beach because I love going to Myrtle Beach. I know not everybody loves Myrtle Beach as much as me, but you all probably like the beach, some beach. So as you think about the beach that you love and you think about going to the beach and the waves crashing on the shore, what do you see there? What is happening? Will you see the momentum of the water that has been building and building and building, churning up all the sand and gunk beneath the surface that then comes to the surface in that foam and then lands and pours forth on the shore? And that is true for these false teachers. Their teachings, far from removing the filth and muck in the depths of our human hearts, actually serve to churn them up and to bring them to the surface instead of true teachings that bring peace to our hearts and remove the filth within. These false teachings stir up the sin within us, bring them to the surface, and then spew them forth on the shore that is our lives. We see this in the way that such teachings bring pride to the forefront of our hearts and spew it forth onto the shore of our lives. They draw out the rebelliousness in our hearts, the desires to love ourselves instead of loving others. They spew forth rage and malice, lies and falsehoods, angers and lusts, and it all mixes together to bring forth a tumultuous, uncontrollable life experience for those impacted by it. As an aside, husbands who allow themselves to indulge the desires of their own hearts spew this filth forward by creating a chaotic and unstable environment for their wives and children, producing a home where there is never calm or peace. Mothers who allow this to dominate their lives actually have no way of calming the hearts of their children, but actually stoke the filth within their children's hearts in harsh and critical ways that leave them unstable and unloved. And at the top of this whole pyramid are the false teachers who actually wickedly are giving license to such things. And this is how their presence as hidden reefs and what should be calm waters shipwrecks the environments of homes within the families of those in the congregation. Which leads to our last one here. We see that false teachers are like wandering stars. Now, what is a wandering star? Well, the Greek word used here is planetai, which is actually where we later get the word for planet in English. In Jude's day, there was something completely off about the planets because they did not follow the normal paths that stars followed. They were not ones that could be tracked by their standards of being able to track the stars. Now, of course, we now know those wandering stars did not follow normal paths of stars because they were not stars at all, which actually, whether Jude knows it or not, is the very point he is trying to make. False teachers are like wandering stars that do not follow the trajectory they ought. They are not dependable. They refuse to seemingly obey the laws of creation. And the root word of planetai is planeti, which means error. They are wandering from the truth. At the end of the day, false teachers are easy to spot because they wander from the truth. And so think of it this way. If you only looked up into the night sky from time to time, 
and you didn't observe the normal patterns that the stars were supposed to follow, every light to you would look the same. Every light would look normal. You would not know the difference between a planet or a star. But for those who study such things, who look up at it every night and know and are able to discern, it is quite easy to look into the night sky and discern which ones are stars and which ones are planets. And the same is true for us. If we simply look at leaders in the church from time to time, we do not really study or understand our Bibles and we float from one leader to another, taking a little bit from this one and a little bit from this one, then we will not be able to discern who is really following Scripture and who is ultimately in error. Sure, major errors we might be able to discern, but false teachers are ones who always have elements of truth mixed in with error, which reminds us of the J.I. Packer quote, a half-truth masquerading as the whole truth is a whole lie. But you see, those who understand the Scriptures, those who are really listening to what teachers say, and seeking to understand if it matches with what the text is actually saying, for them, it is quite easy to discern which teachers are the stars in obedience to the Scriptures and which teachers are planets wandering from the truth, teaching what is error. And the whole summation for Jude is seen in this final phrase, what is the ultimate fate of these hidden reefs? of false teachers who are shepherding themselves? What is the ultimate fate of these rainless clouds, these doubly dead trees, these wild churning waves, these wandering error-filled stars? Well, it is that they are already doomed to live eternally forever in blackest darkness. In the place of utter abyss, removed from the gracious presence of the Lord, that they refused to submit to, receiving the just wages of indulging their own lusts at the expense of the Christian community. So as we draw this sermon to a conclusion, we have one kind of big application to make today. Brothers and sisters, we absolutely, positively must be on guard against false teaching. Interestingly, the thought occurred to me this week that I wonder if there is a reason that so few preachers choose to preach through the book of Jude. Because it is an invitation to hold up every single word coming from the pulpit, from my mouth, to this congregation as something that you must weigh. And y'all, that is your calling as a church. But you do not weigh the words coming from the preacher's mouth, from my mouth, on the basis of your own feelings, or your own desires, or your own heart. You must weigh them against the truth of God's Word from beginning to end. Because if words from this pulpit are preached that do not just jive with the Word of God, then they must be refuted. But we must also be on guard against anyone that we allow to speak into our life experience. I think that's very important for us. When you think and you sit back and you think, who are the five people that I go to to speak into my life into the experiences of where I am, you are called to very keenly discern what they are speaking to you. Now, these could be from other members of the church, famous theologians, politicians, celebrities, social media influencers, even family and friends. 
But we must judge every amount of wisdom and guidance we receive by the truths of Scripture. And then on that basis, we must reject or receive the advice we get, whether we like it or not. And that is what I want to encourage everyone in here today. Y'all, no matter what falsehoods we have received in our lives, and all of us have received falsehood, the gospel of Jesus Christ offers freedom from all of those things. No matter where we find ourselves today, we always have hope in the life-giving, perfect word of God given to us through the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You see, for every single illustration we have regarding these false teachers, the exact opposite is true about Jesus Christ. Jesus is not a dangerous reef that threatens to shipwreck you. He is the one who can take a shipwrecked life and redeem it by offering his body and blood shed for you. He is not the selfish shepherd. He is the selfless shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep and continually guards and protects us as our great refuge. The promises that he gives us are certain, and they always deliver the life-giving promises that he makes, like good clouds that really do bring the rain that they promise. When you are grafted into him, then your roots are renewed, and what was previously a dead tree flourishes in life and bears all matter of wonderful fruit. He calms the seas, and he works steadfastly to remove the filth within our hearts so that what is washed up on the shores of our lives are the fruit of the Spirit that bring us great love and joy and peace into our experience and to all those that we impact. And he is the one who, like a certain star, can always be trusted and counted on to follow the path that he has charted us in his word. He is totally dependable and will always be exactly where he has told you that he promises to be. And best of all, for those who give their lives to him, he has taken that place of blackest darkness away from us and has given us an eternal life where the light of Christ will shine upon us forever and ever. So for all of us in here, from the person perhaps coming to faith at this very moment to the one who has walked with the Lord the longest, we need to see these counterfeit teachers and teachings for what they are. They are the sinister efforts of the evil one to counteract these wonderful, life-giving, precious acts of Christ. And know that as soon as you turn to run to Jesus, then the exact opposite of everything we've read about today will begin flourishing in your life. And may I encourage you to really judge the depths of your heart over these next two weeks. For we have the chance to come together as a community two weeks from today, Lord willing, to truly feed upon the body and blood of Christ in the Lord's Supper, commemorating his love for you and for all of us from now through all of eternity. So brothers and sisters, fear not these false teachers because they really are, if you commit yourself to God's word, easy to spot because they are the exact opposite of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And let us pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word to us. And Lord, we acknowledge that it is overwhelming at times to think of having to navigate or discern all the advice we get, all the people who want to speak into our lives, into our experiences, all the, the levels of false teachings that come into our hearts from the culture at large, even into the church so many times. Lord, we pray that you would always give this church a solid witness. Lord, that you would help us to grow in our understanding and knowledge of your word, that, it might, that we might be like those who are experts in discerning the sky to know a star from a planet, that we would be able to, through our understanding of your word, through the power of the Spirit, be able to understand right teaching from false teaching very quickly. Lord, may we be a congregation that those who aim to mislead Christians would not find a home and would even be fearful of being around. But Lord, give us boldness and courage on the days those times come. And I pray today that we would also be a church that always ministers deeply to the hearts and souls of those who have been led astray, but are coming back, needing to see all of the good work of Jesus Christ in the ways we saw this morning. Lord, we thank you for Christ, and we pray all these things in his name. Amen.